Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Happy Sunday, lifers. Producer Jeff here. I will keep this very short. Um, We had an incredible, like mind-blowingly good conversation with Sheila Hanahan-Taylor. Um, We covered so much that we think for your sake and for our sake, we want to break it up into two episodes. I mention it all the time, but one of our goals on the feed is to keep the topics as delineated and specific as possible so you can find exactly what you need whenever you need it as a writer. And um, we just covered so much that we organized the episode and kind of edited it to cater well to your needs. So great news. You get two episodes this week. Uh, We're dropping part one today. This conversation focuses mostly on rookie mistakes and the power of writing within genre, especially when you're a young emerging writer. Um, I personally learned so much from that specific line of conversation, and I know you will too. And then for Wednesday, we're dropping our big behemoth pitching episode. I know we've talked about pitching here and there, but Sheila answers any question you would ever have about pitching. The elevator pitch versus the full pitch, how to pitch to different networks and streamers, what assets to bring, what the hell a deck actually is. Is it just a fancy PowerPoint or is it more? And what actually should go in your pitch? How to incorporate emotionally resonant themes while pitching. It's just, I can't even tell you how valuable this conversation is. So all of that is going to be dropping this Wednesday. So make sure you tune in for that. But for now, let's get into part one of our mind-blowingly good conversation with Sheila Hanahan-Taylor. Hey guys, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. Today we are chatting with A-list producer Sheila Hanahan-Taylor, known for edge-of-your-seat genre movies like the Final Destination series. Sheila has a gift for speaking to emerging writers with incredible advice about how to get the work seen, how to develop a bulletproof pitch, and how to avoid rookie mistakes, which I'm super excited about hearing about. (laughs) Me too. Sheila is also (laughs) one of the best pitchers I know Um, I've learned a tremendous amount from her about pitching. And so we're going to pick her brain about that as well. Um, But But first, we're going to get into our week. That's right. Let's do our adventure in screenwriting. So Lorian, how was your week? Uh, Well, my week was very busy and yet I still did not get as much done as I wanted to. I am working on a project. I have a development, so that's really fun, but also the like, I hope it goes to series. What if it doesn't go to series? And all that sort of the trap of the future sort of affects how I plan my day. Uh, You know, the daydreaming of it and then the catastrophic nightmare of it not happening. So that's a fun way to really uh, concentrate my anxiety, which does not help my writing process. Um, I did a final typo pass on a project, on a script I've been working on for like a hundred years. Like everyone on this podcast has been with me on that journey. I wrote the first barf draft in November and it came out so fast and it was so easy and I got all this great feedback and then it took months more to get it to be uh, ready. Uh, So it's ready, whatever, whatever my manager's plan for it is. So I'm excited about that. Um, I did uh, some consulting Can I ask projects. Lauren, sorry, yeah. super quick. I want to hear your typo pass process because I'm in that phase and I always miss them. Oh, I pay someone to do it. 
Oh, there you go. Okay, that's the move. I pay someone, it's like a dollar a page and uh, it, it, uh, it makes me feel more secure. And I also try to read it first in a PDF, like print it out, read it. Um, but the person I pay finds like really embarrassing grammatical errors. Yeah, you know, because like- I find, and Sheila, you're nodding your head. I find that I can't see it and then I just keep rewriting it. And so I like, I can't no, do a typo yes. pass. Because I just keep rewriting the dialogue yes, I know. and I get into an obsess- obsessive thing where I'm like, okay, somebody else just, what, what do this? I mean, so Sheila, you were shaking your no. head. So like a hundred years ago, I was a writer's assistant. I worked for Gary Marshall and I love fixing people's grammar and typos. It's like a Zen b- blissful thing. It's probably because <laughs> it's like not my writing. So I can just be in control of someone else's stuff. So part of my, what I worked on this week, actually, we have an amazing writer. We've worked with him for years. Um, and I, he's terrible at that, like terrible. And to Meg's point, I just want him to work on the writing. So he, when he finishes now just gives me the final draft version and I do it all. And it's like this, I should be charging a dollar a page though. I'm, I'm losing money, but uh, it's, it's to me the greatest thing to give it to someone else to do for sure. And find somebody like me who loves it and you're in good shape. Yeah, that's really great. And you know, it's, it's a little embarrassing because I used to be a script supervisor and part of my job was to make sure that the script was perfect when it got to the actors for recording, you know, for animation. And I prided myself on never having a typo. I think in the three and a half years I worked on Up, I had one typo and it was in a scratch session. So it like, you know, the temporary dialogue. And yet now those skills have just like evaporated. Like I, I don't know what's happening anymore, right? Because I'm part focused. Of your brain. Totally it's a different part of your brain wrote yeah. that script. And, and sometimes yeah. the other one isn't coming to the party. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. no, that part of my brain like left the party, like I don't know what happened, moved somewhere else. But uh, but yeah, so I'm excited about that. And then I'm diving into a new project, which you know, we say all the time on the show, like barf draft, it's gonna suck. And I'm sitting here sort of paralyzed because I don't want it to suck. I want to be good enough, like this fantasy of like, I want to just like get it right. And I know it won't, like the intellectual side of me, and then the like the fear, panic you know, expectation side of me are in this battle, again, something that's delighting my anxiety. But uh, so that's hard. And I wrote something on the Facebook group this morning about it. And I think what I'm really afraid of is disappointing my characters is not being able to do them justice in the story. And so the other side of that is I can't abandon them, right? Like it's sort of my responsibility, but it's a lot of responsibility to be this world and these characters shepherd into this project. I love that. Don't abandon them. And, you know, it's so interesting because we abandon ourselves all the time, all the time. We abandon ourselves in our writing. Like we're so afraid of being abandoned by not getting in a manager, by people not liking it. That always feels like abandonment. Right. But the first person to abandon you is you because you are not sitting down and writing. So, um, it's just, I love that word and that you you took it all the way to don't abandon your characters. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. So I've had a, a very uh, up and down week. Oh, but another thing I did that I loved is I got the opportunity to give notes to some master's screenwriting students. And there were very short note sessions. And I was just so impressed with how the students showed up ready to take notes from a stranger. They were there and they were open and they asked questions. They weren't defensive. And it's so, it felt, it felt so 
collaborative and I felt like I had freedom to like compliment, but also dig into some of the things that needed work. But just the the joy of being able to give notes to somebody who is receptive, even if it's an act, right? Which was a, a lesson to me about how to take notes because I can sometimes shut down. So it was like, oh, they are so present. And I was just really inspired by that, by their ability to do that. Um, and that I want to be more like that. So, awesome. you know, yeah. Sheila, how was your week? My week was, well, it's not dissimilar to Lorianne's, it sounds like. So in addition to doing the typo fixing, um, I was working with Film Independent this week. So they do labs all year round. This week was the writer's lab. And uh, I've been lucky enough to work with them. I don't know. I think this is probably the eighth or ninth year that they invite me in. And uh, the way their process works is they pair the writers with many different mentors and they go through a really intense lab. So I'm first up and my role is helping everybody sort of shake off the way they've been speaking about their project because they have to fill out so many lab applications and so many logline forms and all this. And, you know, the best pitch isn't a logline. The best pitch is like why you fucking love it and why someone should crawl in your lap and really listen to it. So um, I just, I start with them to help them, take off the coat of the log line and put on the coat of like bedtime story. And so that was the most inspiring, fun way to spend a day. I'd rather do that all day long than talk to agents, of course. Um, and then speaking of sort of like the, the long slog of a project, we have a project that was a spec script that a young writer wrote okay, it was when I was pregnant and I have an 11 year old. So that is how old it is. And it has almost gotten made, I don't know, like three or four times. And we're talking like budget, actor, board, schedule, director, and then it would fall apart for one reason or another. And we got that call again. Someone else wants to make it, but this time it needs to switch from a male to a female. So we spent this week going through the draft and some of it is like a no-brainer it's super easy and then some of it is like hmm this dynamic would be different let's figure it out so it's been it's been one of those kind of weeks like there's hope for this project that we you know we never have ever put it to rest we you know a project never dies unless a producer lets it die uh but for us it was one of those like are we ever gonna pull a rabbit out of a hat and like maybe this time we will we don't know so that was my week Awesome. Oh, I hope it gets made for know, you and that writer. Oh my God. Oh, totally. God, oh, he's that... getting paid this time too to turn oh, it into yeah. some money, right? Right? That is awesome. Everything. Everyone is in a far better mood. <laughs> oh my God. So much better. Yeah. Um, sure. I love that. that. I, but you do have those projects, right? As producers and writers that are passion projects. I'm bringing one up again saying, hey, the last time we took this out, I set it up three times the same. And last time there were no streamers. So, hey, right. let's take it out, right? right? So suddenly you're like, okay, but now we need a director. And suddenly there's life coming back into it. You never know when something's gonna pop. Um, my week, uh, I um, was talking to Lori by text, having one of our text tirades. And uh, I really wanted to work on my passion project, which I've talked a lot about on the show. Um, and 
<laughs> so I went back into work on it and I'm like, oh my God, this is good. Oh my God. Like I could, I, what, why did I stop working? Oh, I, I got so much done. And then I hit the wall of, oh, this is why I stopped. Oh, right here. Oh, right. Cause I haven't, I haven't even read it in so long. And I was like, oh, right. This whole middle part doesn't work. And I just started to fall down the hole again about, you know, what? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I really do not have time for this fashion project. Like suddenly all the reasons I have to get off of it come trondling back in because I am really so busy and I have children and there's a million reasons for me not to do this. So I really wanted, I was like reacclimatizing to it. Do you know what I mean? Like I just had to get back in it as a, so what I did was I saw on our Facebook group that I believe it was Hannah was starting a writing sprint and she's doing it from six in the morning till eight. So that's before my official writing time. So it's my time. So I got up early and I joined the the, the, the screenwriting life writing sprint. And it really works because what I realized is every time I go to do this passion project, I'm giving myself like 40 minutes or I'm giving myself like an hour. And what happens is my brain kind of knows, oh my God, I only have an hour and I don't have time to do this. And oh my God, it doesn't work. And that panic starts to come and oh, versus, okay, I'm on a sprint. And I know this is going to be two 50 minute things. And I got other people here sprinting with me. And it took about you know, an hour and 45 minutes, to be honest with you, like the last five minutes, I was like, oh, that might work. That, what if I did that? What if I move that here? Maybe this isn't a total disaster and maybe it is and I'll decide next week. But right now I was like, oh, that's good. So I really had fun. We're sprinting with you guys, our audience. I highly recommend it, especially if you're stuck on something, it might just be that you need that time you actually need time sometimes like we always tell people write however much time you have and I still agree with that but sometimes if you're stuck your brain just needs a good long stretch be that a Sunday or whenever you can find multiple hours to really hang in there with it and not pop out so I just wanted to bring that up and the last thing I just want to say I was just this morning talking to a new writer friend and um she was asking me about jumping from project to project. And I said, I think that could often be fear and kind of what I was talking about just now, just hang in. And then she was talking about how she's working through a class and they really want her to outline, but she feels the need to go and write some scenes. And I was like, well, that's instinct. And it's really kind of understanding and it's going to be very personal for every writer, every creator, every person, every human. What is your, what is really that coming from your fear? And what is coming from your instinct? And the one thing I thought for her was like, if, if doing that makes you feel like, okay, I'm getting into the water, even if I'm not flowing, I know I'm in the water, it's taking me into the flow. That's instinct, right? You, you need this thing to flow. If it's pulling you out of the water, you're, it's fear, right? So I really want you guys to start thinking about that as, as these voices come up in your head and in your gut, is this instinct or fear? Because you, you do need that. I, I find, in, and I'm sure Sheila, you can talk about that even as a producer in meetings everywhere, all that stuff is still going on inside of you. So um, that was my week. And I don't want to talk about myself anymore because I need to hear the brilliant Sheila. We have so much to talk to you guys about today. It's so great. We thought we would start with rookie mistakes. <laughs> I just, first of all, the title alone, so good. Um, so what, you know, what are they? What are some of the common rookie mistakes that you see from emerging writers? Well, you know, the thing that I was curious about, and I love what you, I can do whatever you would like, but, you know, there's a list that's, 
sort of the standard list that you could probably find on many different screenwriting websites or a lot of different podcasts. It's sort of the basic stuff, you know, make sure you read enough screenplays that are professionally written and absorb all you can and then read the lousy ones and learn from those too. And, you know, watch as many movies as you can. So there's, there's like that list, but I feel like that's sort of out there. So I've come up with sort of my, now having done this for so long hybrid list if you would be liking to hear that yes please you know for me again i i'm a producer but i'm a story producer but i still need to sell stuff i still need to get the thing made so a lot of my rookie errors are much more of a merger of craft and business i would say um i think it's you know, it's so hard to write a script and you spend so much time investing in who these characters are and why this is happening to them and why they're going through this, that it's really hard to switch your brain over and say like, who's going to buy this and who's going to watch this and how many directors are out there that can actually get this thing made. So part of what I try to help young storytellers sort out is the sooner and the more you can be talking about audience and talking about who might buy this, it's, it's, it's better because at the end of the day, what happens is somewhere way down the road, you have to start making compromises and changes to your material to adhere to all this. And I would just rather do it at the beginning so that you're in control of it and that it's, it's a version you can spend more time sorting out and it's not two in the morning at a film festival when you're scrambling to like give up a cut to some financier who wants to buy it because you didn't cut it the way that somebody wanted it cut kind of thing. And that's true with screenwriting too. So, so for me, the first and foremost is like, you have to just remember it's a business as a rookie and it's sometimes icky and, and, you know, so many writers just hate talking about that because they're truly artists, but Again, find the people in your life who are happy to slay the dragons and be the business people in your life, but just accept that there is always going to be discussions of, again, audience, distribution, money. I mean, it's really funny. As much as I run all these labs, I, it doesn't matter who I'm speaking with, who I'm working with, what, what school they went to, what part of the world they're in, I say, what are the four things you need to make it in this business? And they always get the first one, like material, whether it's a script or you're, you're real or whatever. And, you know, obviously money, they always figure out like some version of money. They never get distribution. Nobody ever says, how am I going to get this thing out into the world so people can see my story and learn what I want to tell, right? And then the fourth one, because I'm a producer, is you got to have a plan and not only that, a backup plan, because the first one most likely isn't going to happen and there's no winging it. So part of my rookie error list is in that space. You know, I really think that's all really important. And then I also have to ask myself, you know, in terms of sort of like, what's the end game, right? Why do I need to tell this story? And, and one of the big things that Meg and I learned years ago when we were working together at UCLA is I just don't think that young storytellers ask why enough. I really don't. And that means on every level, like, why are we going to this director? Why? But also, why do I need to tell this part of the story? Why do I need this to happen to this character right now? I mean, a while ago, a very good friend of mine who's had many movies made uh, invited me to a read through. And it was uh, a story based on this amazing woman who had done something so courageous and heroic. So she happened to be there, right? So we do this great read through and it went really well. And, um, and it was all about what happened to her and how it went down and who the bad guys were. And so many of the normal sort of checklist things were there. It was great. It was a good read through, you know, and people had notes and whatnot, 
But at the end of the day, I realized the story told the why, the how, but not the why she did it, right? And she was there. So so after everybody gave notes, I just kind of raised my hand and I said, you know, I'm just really curious. Like it was a very different life choice for you to go off and do this. It was different than your family had raised you. It was way outside of your belief system. Why? And you should have seen her face. Like she perked right up and all she did was, I mean, go all the way back to her childhood and explain a few things that she believed about herself and the way she fit into the world and how this opportunity came up and nobody thought she could pull it off and she did it. And I looked over at that writer and he's like madly scribbling on his yellow pad, right? And I knew that we found that last 10% that most scripts never quite get to push through to that final little beautiful thing that is the difference between getting an actor and not getting made or getting small distribution or getting into no festivals versus like tons of festivals. So for me, it's, it's ask why. So we, again, we spend so much time figuring out the who and the how, but why are they doing it? Why does it have to happen is really important. And then also, I think we, I think after listening to as many of these amazing guests that you've had and podcasts, another rookie error is it's really hard to have enough patience. It's really hard. Right. And, you know, we were talking earlier that um, during pandemic, my son has learned how to surf and it's, you know, when you're 11, your body, you're not in control of it and you're trying to figure it out. And my husband uh, found this really great website that now is like our family mantra, which is this, there's four rules of surfing. And I think you can apply it to screenwriting. The first one is you want to do it, but you have no idea what you're doing and you definitely have no idea how to fix anything. The second one is you have a slight idea what you're doing, but you still have no idea how to fix it. The third one is you're kind of getting up on the board so you have a better idea what you're doing wrong and you're starting to get a sense of how to fix it. And then the fourth one is very clear idea what you're doing wrong and a clear sense of how to fix it. So we'll sit at the dinner table and my son will say like, I think I'm at level two. I think I'm at level three. And understanding sort of that patience of, of how long it takes to get the craft wrangled, it's hard. So many people walk away, I think too soon. I think they have many stories to tell and many characters for us to, to learn from. And they just have to know that their aspirations and their taste may not match their skill set yet, but it will come, right? So that to me is massive. Um, another one, which is why I'm happy to be here, is honestly, every podcast episode that you have done up to this one is really the, the sooner a rookie figures out their baggage like with a capital B, the better you are as a writer. And I think that, again, you're learning how to format and you're learning how to figure out structure and you're trying to sum up how to get to the end of that second act downfall and all these things that sometimes you forget, like the better the story is because you've infused you into it. So I think that the sooner you can be okay <laughs> with all of your damage, um, the better the material. And I think Meg, you and I saw that a lot at UCLA. Like the sooner people sorted out all their heartache and instead put it on the page. And I'm not saying you had to write a weepy story. You could write a really hilarious story or a really mysterious story, a scary story. But as soon as you were on the page, it changed everything. So that is a really big one for me. Um, another thing that happens for us is we run into a lot of writers who are positive their script is ready to show other people before it is. Right. And I think it's just, you know, you've been living with it long enough and you're just ready to show the world. But what I figured out is it's bigger than that. 
So the real rookie error isn't about showing it too soon. It stems from, I think, you don't have enough people in your life who are your tough love readers, right? And years ago, I had the pleasure of meeting Steve Gagan, who's still one of like the coolest, most interesting writers I've ever talked to. And he tells this story that he was like fresh off Emmy Awards from NYPD Blue. And he was like the hot guy in town. So he jammed out a spec during hiatus and like everybody loved it. And he said he, he got to the point where he stopped taking a pen and paper to meetings because no one ever had any notes. It was all just genius. But he woke up and he kept saying like, but no one's optioning it. Like no one's making it. And finally he got this weird call and somebody wanted to meet him at, I think it was at Formosa Cafe, like back in the day and, you know, like 11 at night. So he goes to the dark corner and there's this guy in the booth and he had Steve's script. And this is like back when we printed him out and it was all dog-eared and there's like coffee stains on it. And this guy's in the corner and he's like, hey, yeah, you know, uh, why'd you write this? And Gagan was floored because nobody had ever asked him that. Okay. So I'm like, this is the greatest story I've ever heard. This is fantastic. And then the twist is that guy in the corner was Charlie Kaufman before he was Charlie Kaufman. Like before, <laughs> of course he asked that question. Right. But to me, it was like, you've got to have the people in your life who are your tough love people who, you know, beat you up a little bit and push you because then we got the Steve Gagan we have now. Right. So I just I think love the jump though, of going from no love, to truly the greatest living writer. <laughs> I know, right? Like that is a big jump. <laughs> right. And, and like the way Gagan tells the story, I was at like a small uh, little screenwriting thing and he was one of the judges and he was just so cool about the whole thing. Meanwhile, I was <laughs> like losing my mind, right? Yeah, and just make sure like for me, um, the, the word tough and love are together, right? Like yes. there are people we know who you can give it to as self-sabotage because you know that they're attackers and it and they are about showing how smart they are versus I have a sense that Charlie Kaufman is somebody who really cares about what you're writing and wants to help you. And he's going to, you know, like at Pixar, it can be that kind of intensity, but it's always about make this better, right? It's not personal. It's not about showing how smart you are. So there is a specific kind of tough love I want you guys to find in terms of that kind of honest, authentic push. They're going to push you harder. And it's that person knowing who you are and where you are too, right? Like Meg, when I give you something to read, you sort of have this sense of how far you can push me when you give me notes, right? That you're not going to go full, like, this is a mess. Start from page one is you're going to zero in on as, you know, how, how far you think I can go, but also really pushing me out of my comfort zone so that I can get there, but still feel supported. So that I think is really important too. finding those people that can buoy you up you know, and not just cut your head off. Yeah, because, you know, Sheila, a lot of got a lot of writers on our Facebook page ask a lot about these contests or who that do coverage for you or paying for coverage. And then they post the coverage that made them not write for three months or six months because Oof. it was so devastating. Brutal. So like, what do you think about those contests and that kind of getting that kind of feedback? Well, I think also just rewinding, like my favorite writer ever, I learned this years ago, would would say like, I'm looking for information on whether my character works and whether the moment with the, you know, whatever, with the mother is, is truthful. Like they, they kind of tell me where they're needing me to look. So that also is another way to help make sure that you're getting the right kind of feedback. I love that, right? I mean, some writers come in with like their own set of notes on their project, which is like amazing and crazy, but I love it at the same time. But back to the, quest the question, which is, you know, the contest. Um, 
Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people who for many years were studio readers who now do have a side hustle reading and doing coverage for those kind of contests. So the tricky thing for me is like, I know that they're not dumb people. I know they're well-read. I know they've been working in the industry a long time, but I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think that they've, they've sort of forgotten who the people are who are entering into contests and what that end game is for those people, right? I mean, you're not entering a contest when you're deep into your career. You're entering it early on, hoping to get some doors open, get some relationships made, getting one up on the boards. So, so to me, it is, I, I think, a mandate that, you know, the contest should sort of regroup on that feedback and, and scale it to a place that is all about nurturing and all about our next generation. I mean, that, that to me is what's so tricky about this business is, Sure. You know, granted, I've taught at many film schools. I have plenty of friends who have, you know, doctorates, masters, all that. But at the end of the day, I still think it's an apprenticeship. I still think like you learn the best when you're with somebody eye to eye, sort of talking it through and working on it. It's very much nurturing and not so much. It's a business kid. Um, So, yeah, I'm not crazy about those contests, I have to say. Well, and I think so many of those readers in the contests the way you wrote coverage in the back in the day was it was for the producer. It was for the studio executive. So you, and you only had a certain amount of space and you had to be as direct as possible. Right. Oh, like, yeah, this doesn't work. Also, this like is using, cliche. Yeah. Like, that's, they wanted you to be short and fast and to the point and just tell me what works and tell me what doesn't. But that to me is, should not be what contest coverage is. Like that is not the same audience just to go to your opening idea. That is not the right audience, right? So I think you have to be careful submitting your stuff to places that don't understand the audience they're speaking to, because um, I just think it's not helpful. It's not, it, it's not really that helpful. So you, on, the, on the page, you guys can all talk about what are the good readers and what are the good contests, because I don't know what they are, but I do want everybody to kind of... Uh, ruminate on this on the Facebook page so we can uh, make sure everybody's getting the kind of feedback that is constructive. Um, Before we move on to pitching, is there any other rookie mistake you want to bring up while we have you? I'm trying to think, I mean, one of the big things I think you guys talk so much about thematic with respect to sort of like finding it inside yourself and finding your lava and all that beautiful stuff. But the other thing that I noticed some, some rookies, uh, just are having trouble mastering. So I just wanted to point out two movies that are recent just to maybe help, which is when you can also um, thematically express the story through many points of view, but it's under the umbrella of one theme is to me when the project is the most successful, right? So in the last year and a half, um, One Night in Miami to me is one of the best examples. And I know you just had uh, the writer on, but it, honestly, like it's the big theme is there, but each each character in that has their own take on it. So it's a really lovely way to have facets and depth to what is the bigger theme that you're exploring. And then also for me, one of my favorite movies from the last couple of years is Lady Bird. And, you know, she's desperate to get out of that house and her, her best friend, her mom, and everyone's, you know, doubtful whether she can pull it off or not. And I, I really appreciated that we got many points of view all within one beautiful theme wrangled. So I think as a, as a young writer, the, the more you can work on, on making your story that cohesive to me is, is a beautiful thing. And I think that actually holds true in, in TV too, right? Like there's usually a, a theme for the show yeah. that all the characters in that show are really traveling on in very different ways, potentially, but they're all struggling with 
um, ambition or they're all struggling with, you know, and again, seasonally that can change or, you know, it can move because it's a TV show, but those TV shows do tend to, you know, I'm watching the most cheesy show ever, which I love crash landing on you from Korea. And it's like cheese fest galore. Like literally every time they're together, it rains or snows because that's romantic. Um, and I love it. But even this <laughs> show, which is, it's so successful, I think a, because the actors are so amazing. They're like Cary Grant and, and Kate Hepburn. But all, I think the show does have this deeper why. It does have this deeper theme that you can actually see being carried out in all these many, many characters. Um, and I was like, oh my God, there it is. So I just, I, I think that happens in TV too. Do you agree? Do you think TV is is also doing that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I would say 100%. In fact, like if you look at how really strong TV shows are built, that's that's to me the fulcrum by which they operate. I feel like, you know, they figure out what that sort of unanswerable question is, which is the the big thing that's driving the show. But then within that, it is, what are we exploring, right? What are we going to unpack every week? So I would say 100%, that's exactly what's happening. Well, Meg, haven't you talked about like at Pixar, you would have one word to like, signpost your film like yeah, is that yeah especially in the in the beginning because you don't know yet what that theme is but everybody's kind of agreeing on it's in this bucket right and it, I, I watch people put it on walls and it changes as you're developing it because it's getting deeper or more intricate or you're like nope that's not it um but for sure just pick a word right is this about redemption you know, that's a big word, man. There's a lot to unpack in the word redemption, you know, so that can help too, just to pick a word, um, be it, you know, uh, a TV show or a feature. Um, can we talk a little bit about genre um, filmmaking um, in terms of, um, you know, and we got this a little bit when we were teaching, you know, there's the students who are, who really just don't want to do genre because they feel it's not personal and it's not artistic um, you know, versus emerging writers, it might be good to do a genre. <laughs> it might be really good to embrace that and put your personal inside of the genre. Um, uh, and could you talk about that a little bit in terms of your view of it? Yeah, you know, I feel like lately, you know, some of the best movies we've had in the last 10 years are genre. So hopefully people's mindset is shifting that, there's something great that can happen with genre because the, the thing to me for young screenwriters, the reason it's it's a strategic business move as well as a creative move is and generally you do not need a star to get those things made. It's a concept driven idea, right? So it's generally less complicated because you're not waiting for an actor to say yes. And, and, and if you happen to get somebody of some level, they're just not as expensive. So it's it's just a way to get a movie off the ground or a TV show going faster is if you're in a concept-driven space. So just on that alone, I think it's a great rookie thing. I mean, one of the big goals I always try to tell rookies is, you know, aim for the biggest target you can hit. You want to go to the place that is the most likelihood of getting financed, the most available buyers or streamers possible. And genre travels the world, right? So there's that side of it. But then in terms of just creative and you know, scratching that itch as a storyteller, people like Jordan Peele have really shown that you can deep, deep, deeply explore stuff. And it's it just in the, in the context of genre, but it doesn't ever have to feel like you're selling out or that it's too commercial. I mean, I, I feel like there's deep thematic in the well-told genre movies out I think there. Parasite too, just while we're talking genre. Yeah. I mean, for a foreign yes. language movie, the biggest foreign language movie of all time to get best picture, it's the most genre movie I think we've seen Absolutely. this decade, right? Like, right? 
It's yeah. what happens when somebody invades your house. It's like literally a stranger comes into your house. I mean, it couldn't be if you look at it from a purely structural genre checkbook. It's like, boom, 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 boom. Perfect, perfect, perfect. It just happens to be told with a cool voice and a cool point of view and a different attitude. And look what happens. So, I mean, for me, just for our super right. emerging writers, should we talk about what genre is? When, when you and I or Jeff or Lorian say genre movie, what does that mean? Okay, so for me, when we talk genre, the, this is another one that to me has gotten so mushy because- in the old days, genre just meant how it was built. Is it a Western, where it was? Is it a Western? Is it, you know, and then now it's also tonal. Is it a mystery? Is it romantic? Whatever. So genre is this mashup subject. So for me, genre is an idea that fits into a familiar world or a familiar tone or has a familiar plot. There's three ways it can be genre. It can be all three of those in one, or it can be just one of those three. It can be just set somewhere familiar like Western, or it can be a mystery or it can be a romantic movie. But the, the trick is it's, it's set in such a way and it's written and created in such a way that there are familiar elements to it that audiences seek out and they actually want those. And that's why they are fans of that. So your job as a storyteller is to, as I'm sure you've heard a million times, do it, but make it different, right? The same, but different. So it's how you can take something like Parasite. And it is, again, from like the 20,000 foot perspective, very familiar mathematically. The structure and the general plot is super simple, but we added this amazing point of view and this amazing sort of energy and attitude and it became fresh and different enough. But someone like my 83 year old mom loved it, right? As well as my 11 year old loved it, right? That's the key. So when I look at what's commercial, I mean, to me, it's like there just has to be enough people out there to either buy a ticket or to subscribe to the platform or whatever that would cost, you know, cover the cost of developing, producing, and marketing it. So it can be a very small select group, can be a genre audience for something little and only appeal to one little bit as long as you didn't spend too much to create it and put it out into the world. And you can also do something giant and massive like a Lord of the Rings, right? So it just depends what you're in the mood to create. But for us, genre, there are many. Like I have a massive list of what constitutes genre. And I think in some ways, everything fits into a genre. It just depends how you want to describe it did that make awesome. sense that felt like yes. i was like, wandering. I thought that was like okay. brilliantly explained okay. i thought that was, I thought awesome. was like super yeah. wandering okay okay no okay. no no. i thought that was great <laughs> okay great Lori, did you um, have a question well i no i was just going to comment that for me the others was such a an amazing genre film because most way through it scared the crap out of me and then i got to the twist and i was like i love this movie because it was about something that i could connect to you know personally and so uh i i really like that and i don't like scary movies at all but it just is uh you know what you were talking about the way to tell something that's familiar a ghost story but then switch it around um which is so hard to explain to somebody when you're like look at the tropes and then twist them <laughs> you know because an audience wants the tropes wants that formula but then how do you turn it on its head so that it's a satisfying new fresh thing. Right. Uh, right which is, right. which, but I thought you did a great job of explaining that. Um, and yeah. I think Sheila too, when you talk about like your baggage, think mm -hmm. about the exercise of like, what if you brought your baggage to this genre? So like the others, what if you brought all this baggage about motherhood to a horror movie? Jordan Peele, what if you brought this baggage about racism to a horror movie? Like, I think that could be a really interesting exercise. Like if you're, 
I, the feature I'm directing this summer is it, it does kind of have that slice of lifey, prestige I fear boring indie things. So I'm really pushing myself. <laughs> no. How I know it doesn't, but like it, it's a really, I think, incredibly valuable exercise to think about if you were to genreify your film, what inherent stakes would suddenly show up in the story? What easily bankable poster moments could you like insert into what you're doing? So I just think it's really important what you're talking about. No, I think baggage is the key to all of this. You're spot on. I mean, Jordan talks a lot about how, you know, it took that long to even get out sort of made because he was reconciling all that baggage, right? And one more thing about genre. So for new writers who want to be unique or original and they feel that genre just isn't an ideal way to explore their take, what they should keep in mind is that you know, being subversive or super unique, it's just a really high bar for people early in their career. So, you know, in their efforts to be subversive, they tend to not quite hit it. And then worse, all of that work, it, it doesn't show to producers or agents or executives that they know how to collaborate or play well with others. You know, they, they aren't following the more traditional rules that usually launch someone. So, exploring your idea inside of a genre, it actually, it accelerates things. It's, it's got built-in guardrails, and then that allows you to play. Plus, with genre, there is so much noise in the marketplace. There's so many shows and movies, they're showing up on your watch list every day, right? So it's, it's actually helpful to be able to identify and articulate the space that your project lives in. You know, if you can name the genre that your project is, it, it's, it's just <laughs> it's just a good thing. You know, especially for streamers who are working the algorithm like crazy. You know, we have this we have this siege movie. It's it's really intense. It's these soldiers protecting a queen, but it's actually set in the world of vampires. Those are the soldiers, and it's sort of Shakespearean and sort of Game of Thronesy and it's skullduggery and manipulation. And Netflix came back to us and they said, you know. It's, it's not really CG to be CG enough for those fans, and it's not vampire-y enough for those fans. So we don't have a formula that it lands in for anybody within our algorithm. And that taught us a lot. So again, genre is your friend. How freaking awesome is Sheila? Is she like the most brilliant person you've ever met or what? Um, so again, this was only half our conversation um, this Wednesday. You have your full masterclass on pitching. I promise you any question you've ever had about pitching will be answered. Um, From vocabulary to lingo to how to pitch to certain networks. And uh, most importantly, how to incorporate emotionally resonant themes into your pitches. Even if you're not at the stage in your story where you're ready to pitch, I think you'll come away realizing that developing your pitch, even in the early stages, can really, really help sharpen your story. So... It is an amazing episode, an instant classic, I would say, of TSL. And so you want to make sure you're subscribed. Um, so that's going to be dropping this Wednesday. And uh, we hope you enjoy your screenwriting life too for this week. Until then, happy writing.